can remote black news, it's all about leadership. Now we know who's typically in positions of power in this country, and we know that those people do not tend to look like us. But listen, just because there's a bunch of white people in leadership positions, that does not equate actual white leadership, right? Because if we know authority, well, that's one thing. But true power, that is a different beast. See, it's us. We know how to lead our people, our culture, and our communities. And we know how those of us that do will power, use it to clear out all the bullshit so that there is room for impact, change, meaning, and room for a seat at the table. But you know, when you think about it, that notion can be a bit problematic, right? It tends to fear passiveness. It assumes stagnation, as if there's only a set number of black leaders allowed and that the rest of us simply have to follow. But you know, I know we don't believe in that. So listen, we can and we should be proud of those of us that are making strides. But for not one second should we be complacent because all of us should aspire to a throne that has room for us all. Welcome to Revolt Black News. I'm your host, Ebony K. Williams. We have to start things off by talking about the consequences and repercussions of the previous leadership in this country. And of course, that means the ensuing impeachment Senate trial that begins this week. So joining to help me break it all down, we've got Chris Prudholm. He's a Republican strategist and frequent guest on Fox News. And also with us, friend of the show, host of the Woke AF Daily Podcast and co-host of the podcast, Democracy-ish, Danielle Moody. Welcome both of y'all back to the show. Thanks Thank for you. Having us. Absolutely. Um, so, Chris, I'm going to start with you. I'm just going to give a couple of just straight up quotes um, from the Trump rally speech that was held on January 6th. And I want to get your reaction. These are some of the things the former president said. He said, we will stop the steal. We will never give up. We will never concede. It doesn't happen. If you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. Now, just based on those statements um, and the context in which, you know, those statements were made, Chris. What do you feel? Do you feel that was an actual incitement by the former president for there to be the Capitol riot? So look, uh, Ebony, look, if the riot would have never occurred, I, I don't. I feel like it would, it would not be a conversation. Um, the, the, the reality is this: um, kind of like people always talk about, you know, fight for what you believe in. There's been numerous people along along history, members of Congress, and other people who say, you know, fight for what you believe in. Look, look. Of course, the president was not saying, you know, go out there and 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 take over the Capitol. That's just not that's not what he meant by any means. Look, it's a very challenging time, and, and I understand that a lot of people were frustrated. But President Trump, and I will say this, you're talking, you're talking about someone who spent two and a half months on the campaign uh, away from home. I was going straight over two and a half months uh, away from my house and on the campaign. And, and, and I'll be frank with you, even myself, there were a lot of regulators that I saw. I said, oh, this is interesting. A lot of, I had a lot of questions that I saw on duplicate votes. Yeah, about the election. Yeah. Correct, dead voters. Absolutely, absolutely right about the election. Absolutely right. And so a lot of regularities. So I can understand... Uh, a lot of people's frustrations. Now, I can't speak for a lot of mi different. It's, it's a, it's a more expensive conversation. But the reality is that I understand certain people's frustration in the party because a lot of people are questioning uh, so how how the voting was done, and uh, and there's certain irregularities. Uh, I now, think respectfully, Chris, I'm gonna get to that yeah. because I think that's a point yeah. that needs to be discussed. Yeah. Right? People's feelings about the election. I'm asking you a preliminary question based off of yeah. what the president, former President Trump himself, said. His words. Do you think they yeah. constituted? 
So I, I think people interpret things how uh, I, I'm going to talk to you how I talk to you, Evan. If we were if we were on here, right? Yeah. Okay. So I I do think that he has some culpability, right? He, just has to take some responsibility, and I think he he, he stated that to Representative McCarthy. They had a private conversation about that, right? So after, after, that's just a no brainer. But do I think he willingly and only said take over the? Absolutely not. I, I just I don't see that. I, I don't see it. Um, and I have friends myself okay. who were good who were good mm-hmm. people who came and were no part of that at all. That they, they actually were calling me like, what is this is chaos? What is going on? So they're you know. So no, I, I don't think he willingly did that. But I do think that certain things he said inspired some of the crazy people, and I'm going to call them just that. Inspired some of the crazy folks to do what they did. Yeah. Okay, so he didn't necessarily incite it in your view, but he laid some groundwork to incite some crazy. Uh, Danielle, what's, yeah, what's I your think take? They, I think he interpreted that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, no, I think they interpreted. Danielle, what's your response a to Chris's interpretation, and do you feel that what Trump said on January uh, prior to January six? directly led to the incitement of the riots we did see on January 6th. Yeah, I mean, I'm just going to be real. The last four years led to the incitement that we saw on 1-6. I mean, not to mention the fact that Donald Trump tweeted months beforehand calling for his folks to arrive at the Capitol building on January 6th, and he said that it was going to be, quote-unquote, wild. That is what he tweeted before he was then removed from Twitter after the insurrection. You don't tell people to fight like hell or you're not going to have a country back and then say, let's go march to the Capitol building. Go march to the Capitol building to do what exactly, right? Like, we can all pretend, oh, it's, it's words and words don't really matter. But you have to understand that the words that come out of the mouth of the president of the United States of America matter more than anybody else. And so the reality is, is that we want to dismiss these people as crazy and they are not crazy. They are white supremacists and they are domestic terrorists, but they're not crazy because crazy allows them to be absolved of responsibility. Right. Then we can put that on some type of mental health issue. And that is not what this is. Right. They were incited because they believe that their whiteness is their currency. This president told him that they were going to get their country back. Right. They were going to make it great again. He told the Proud Boys to stand back and stand by. And then when they show up and do just that, then he wants to say, like, oh, there's no culpability or House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy wants to say that everybody is responsible for how we got to one six. Everybody like whom? Everybody except the man with the bullhorn? That to me does not make sense. So we know this week we saw the House manager present a video um, montage, really, of evidence against Trump, things that he said uh, immediately prior to and throughout leading up to what happened on January 6th. Uh, Danielle, I'll start with you. What do you make of the footage and that that kind of evidence in this trial? I mean, I will tell you that the footage is absolutely heartbreaking. I don't know how you are an American. You watch what transpired. You see all of the angles. You hear the 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 language, the rage, the the terror that they were uh, that they were a part of, and think to yourself, nothing needs to be done about this, right? Like five people are dead. Right, five people are dead. This quote unquote uh, party, right, which I, I, I really don't want to refer to the Republican Party as a party anymore because I honestly do believe that they are a cult. They do not have any values or merit or morals that they stand upon anymore except for extremism and authoritarianism. But aside from that, when you watch this video, it is re-traumatizing to the American people, not to mention those people that were actually inside, right, that uh, that experienced this firsthand. But when I watch it, when I listen to, to Congressman uh, Jamie Raskin 
go over his, the fact that his kids were there, that his, you know, that they that they were terrified, and they asked him, "Are we safe?" This is the U.S. capital of the United States. It should be the safest place that you could possibly be. And it was until January 6th. It was until Donald Trump turned it into a target, right? And so for us to look at those flags, look at the venom coming from those people, look at the way that they were engaging with police officers, and for us to say like, oh, this is totally fine, this is totally okay, that is what America's future will look like if we do nothing. Here's the bottom line, final word for both of you. Start with you, Chris, um, and in with you, Danielle. How do you see this Senate of impeachment for Donald J. Trump ending? Do you think there's going to be a vote for con uh, a conviction here or not, Chris? No, no, there, there will be no conviction. It's a, No, absolutely not. Uh, I think it's a waste of... Yeah. Um, there will be no conviction because Republicans have no spine and have lost their patriotism. And there we have it. Chris and Danielle, listen, uh, thank you both. Uh, I know it's uh, a lot of different takes and, and feelings and opinions and experiences here, but they were both like news. We think it's very important that we engage in this dialogue and share all these perspectives. So we appreciate you both for your candor. Listen, y'all, we're going to head to a commercial break and then we've got this week's headlines. we got more both like news after this. Welcome back to Revolt Black News. I'm Stacey Ike, and these are this week's headlines. On Tuesday, Congress kicked off the first week of former President Donald Trump's second impeachment trial. Let's take a look. They were coming at the urging of Donald Trump to keep Congress, a separate branch of government, from certifying the results of a presidential election. Lead House impeachment manager Congressman Jamie Raskin recounted a black Capitol police officer's personal experience during the Capitol riot. Let's watch. Overwhelmed by emotion, he broke down in the rotunda and he cried for 15 minutes and he shouted out, I got called an N-word 15 times today. And then he recorded I sat down with one of my buddies, another black guy in tears just started streaming down my face and I said, what the F man, is this America? That's the question before all of you in this trial. Is this America? Can our country and our democracy ever be the same if we don't hold accountable the person responsible for inciting the violent attack against our country? our capital and our democracy. And new security footage was shown revealing yet another example of Capitol Police Officer Eugene Goodman's heroic act on January 6th. Officer Goodman passes Senator Mitt Romney and directs him to turn around in order to get to safety. Just beneath them, the mob had already started to search for the Senate chamber. Officer Goodman made his way down to the first floor where he encountered the same insurrectionists we just saw watch breach the Capitol. In this video, we can see the rioters surge toward Officer Goodman. Recall that the rioters are in red and Officer Goodman in this model is in blue. Watch Officer Goodman who backs up the stairs.
Senator Romney said this of Officer Goodman. He indicated that he had to breathe a lot of bear spray and tear gas and that he was nauseated. And so he was talking to me about the whole day and I just told him how much I appreciated him, making sure that I was out of harm's way. Now, over in the New York City mayoral race, a recent poll shows former presidential candidate Andrew Yang is holding a strong double-digit lead in the Democratic primary. Coming in behind Yang, polling in second, is Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams. Now, one statistic, however, to watch out for are the 19% of participants who say they are still undecided. So we'll all keep watching. And the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention have given an update on COVID exposure. The health experts say a fully vaccinated individual who's had both shots for at least two weeks does not need to quarantine if they've been exposed to someone with COVID-19. They do, however, recommend the vaccinated individual to quarantine if it's been more than three months since they've had the vaccination, as their protection may have worn off. And while COVID continues to rear its ugly head across the globe, there's been reports of a new outbreak of Ebola in the Democratic Republic of Congo. News broke that two people have died in 2021 from the disease, most recently a 42-year-old woman from the North Kivu province. These marked the first two deaths since last year's outbreak in the Ikutir province. In further international stories, but in much more positive news, Ngazi Okonjo Uwala is making history as she is set to become the first woman and first African to lead the World Trade Organization. Iwala has made a name for herself in combating financial corruption in Nigeria, so much so that she's been nicknamed Okonjo Wahala, which means Okonjo the Troublemaker. And in 2014, Time Magazine included her in the top 100 most influential people in the world. And back in Congress, the Ways and Means Committee in the U.S. House of Representatives introduced legislation this week for some of the anticipated COVID-19 relief. Under the plan, individuals earning $75,000 or less and couples earning less than $150,000 would receive a $1,400 check. This stimulus, unlike the previous two, would extend to dependents consistent of college students and disabled adults. The Biden administration is also looking to expand the child tax credit this year. The efforts are looking to put $3,000 in the pockets of parents for each child ages 6 to 17 and $3,600 for children under 6, couples who earn up to $150,000 a year and single parents who earn up to $112,000 a year would qualify. And over in sports, Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban reportedly instructed his operations to no longer play the national anthem before home games. Here's Cuban himself clarifying those reports. We've had a lot of conversations about whether or not we should play the anthem. And so during the first preseason game, we decided to, to not play it and just see what the response was, um, knowing that we were going to have ongoing um, conversations about it. We didn't make a, any decision to never play the national anthem. That wasn't the case at all. We didn't cancel the national anthem. We still had our flag flying proud and up on the wall at the American Airlines Center, and everybody had the opportunity to address it and, and, and you know, pray to it or salute to it or however, whatever their feelings are. We had always discussed the fact that we probably went into playing it at some point, probably when fans came back, but there was never any final decision that had made that we would not play the anthem. And lastly, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame unveiled their 2021 nominees, which include Jay-Z, Mary J. Blige, Dionne Warwick, LL Cool J, Tina Turner, and Shaka Khan. I guess they forgot about me, but that's okay. We congratulate all the Black excellence and look forward to the official inductees when they are announced later in May. I'm still showing up. And that's it for this week's headlines. We're taking a quick commercial break, but stick around. Much more Revolt Black News after this. 
What's going on, Revolt? This is Koya Webb. I'm an international holistic health coach and author of Let Your Fears Make You Fierce. Joining me in an always necessary conversation about mental health is Brittany Richardson. She's a mental health clinician and founder of Bit Therapy. Welcome to the show, Brittany. Hi, thank you for having me. First and foremost, for those who don't know about Vent Therapy, what is it and what inspired you to start it? So Vent Therapy is my private practice. Um, I am a licensed clinical social worker, um, but it started as just one therapy group called Vent Community. And it was a group I started to bring awareness and healing to um, systemic racism and generational trauma in the Black community. Um, and so I started with that uh, in 2017 and have expanded it. I now do individual counseling, couples, and groups. That's awesome. And in terms of Vince's mission, it mentions the implicit and explicit aspects of institutional racism. Break that all the way down so we're all on the same page here. Sure. So implicit racism is racism that... Um, is kind of lives in our subconscious. It's our behaviors of how we treat people based on our experiences, our observations, our upbringings, internal messages, things like that. So things like um, crossing the street when you see someone in a hoodie or um, how teachers maybe disproportionately punish uh, black boys or call them disobedient. Um, those kind of triggers where we treat someone different or we identify someone as behaving different based on messages that we've been given as a society. Explicit racism is very much over in your face. Things like um, black people can't eat here, black people can't buy homes here, go back to where you came from, MAGA, things like that. Right. And what can we do to really start to see change in these areas? I think so. Vent actually stands for verbalizing emotional needs together. And I think that the first thing that we have to do as a community is find the words for what we're experiencing, what we're feeling, what we're going through and have those conversations with our friends, with our family. And once we can bring awareness to our shared experience, our shared traumas, our shared anger, um, or frustrations, then we can mobilize together and know that we're not alone, know that it's okay to have those feelings. One of the things that comes through in Vent so often is that people say, man, I've never had this conversation before. I never knew someone else was feeling these feelings, or I just assume everyone's feeling these feelings, so why should we talk about it? And the healing really comes in the discussion. I love that. Communication is so important. And we know 2020 was a huge wake up call for a lot of white folks, but black folks know it was really the microscope of social media that made the issues of racism more mainstream. With that said, since the national and international outrage of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor's death last year, how has the climate of vent therapy changed or enhanced? So, you know, I think a lot of people are exhausted of the conversation. Um, when George Floyd passed away, we had vent that Thursday and I thought, oh man, this is gonna be really heavy. And we as a group decided not to talk about it. It was on everyone's mind and they wanted actually the space to put it aside and talk about other things. We had a conversation about vacations. Um, and so I think that the idea that we see these things over and over and now everyone's on board with them it feels draining and it feels exhausting to have to relive it. I think especially the images that we see, I call it trauma porn. We don't need to see men die over and over on a loop. We don't see that for other races. And so I think that this I, this consumption that makes it the violence digestible is harmful. 
And it's tough because it's the same things that hurt us help us, right? And we know that we may not, we're producing the videos for proof to protect ourselves and it may not um, play out in court the way we wanted to, but in public opinion, we're getting people on our side and we're raising awareness and we're forcing people to have the conversation rather than blaming on a few bad apples. Is it possible for a, por a person to stop the previous generations of trauma or is it more about vocalizing and articulating the trauma so that it gets less power over us? Yeah, I really love this question because so many people come in with an expectation that they can go to therapy and just heal the trauma and wipe it away or stop the symptoms fully. And trauma is a wound and we heal the wound, right? If you cut off your finger, you are gonna bring your finger to the hospital and they'll be able to sew it back on and there will be a scar. And you, over time with healing and physical therapy, you'll be able to hopefully regain use of that finger, but maybe not, right? But we do the things that we can do to set ourselves up for success. And I think this a similar, um, I think a similar idea plays with emotional trauma. So we talk about it, we heal it, we address the wound and it takes time and it takes processing, but we're able to bring ourselves back to a level of functioning similar to before the trauma happened, but there will always be a scar there. Right. And in, in, in terms of engaging with businesses, we know there are more white people in positions of power than black people, people who look like us. Have you worked with white higher ups who want to create more understanding in workplaces? And if so, what, what has the response been like? To be honest, I haven't. Vent is specifically for people who identify as members of the African diaspora, and that's who I work with. And I think through our curriculum and through the conversations that we have, the goal is to empower you to be able to vocalize and express yourself outside in the world and be able to advocate for yourself and ask for what you need. And I think that if I was working with someone who experienced another type of trauma, I wouldn't go to their abuser to heal them, right? I think the healing comes from within. And so Vent is really about giving people the space to process what they've gone through, what they're feeling, what they're going through, and then take the, the a better version of themselves out into the world and out into their spaces. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for what you do. It's so important. And this episode of Revolt Black News is centered around Black leadership. So are there any other leaders in the Black mental health space that you think would be good resources for our viewers? I think so many people are doing powerful work. Um, it would take a long time to list them, but I think a few notable organizations that everyone kind of keeps coming back to are... Um, I think Taraji P. Henson's organization, the Boris L. Henson Foundation is doing amazing work and has a ton of resources. Therapyforblackgirls.com, therapyforblackmen.com. I know Heal House in New York City is doing really great work as well. And so I think that the more we get together and mobilize as a community, um, we're seeing a lot of people become leaders for themselves. And are there any other resources you'd like to leave us with? I think anyone looking um, ready to make the step into exploring mental health really should start locally. Um, I know Psychology Today is a great resource to find a therapist in your area. Um, and you can also check by gender, race, insurance um, to find someone that will be really compatible for you. Thank you so much, Brittany. And thank you for helping shine a light on this very important subject. All right, we're taking a quick commercial break and then Darnell Britt Gibson joins Ebony for this week's Black Excellence in Entertainment. More Revolt Black news after this. Welcome back to Revolt Black News. All right, y'all, it's time for my favorite segment this week's Black Excellence in Entertainment. 
And joining me this week, you all know him from the Oscar-nominated film, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, Just Mercy, HBO's The Wire, and you can see him tomorrow in the new release, Judas and the Black Messiah, Daryl Britt Gibson. What's going on, Daryl? Oh, thank you for having me, Ebony. It's a beautiful day to be Absolutely. alive, right? <laughs> it's a beautiful day to be alive and black. Amen, brother. Michael B. Jordan, he didn't just bring the heat in this year's Super Bowl commercials, but his production company is also doing the work in exclusivity. Now, Jordan's company called Outlier Society has expanded its partnership with Amazon Studios as the two have signed an exclusive TV pack, as well as a first look deal on the film side. His production company plans to produce with Rock Nation, of course, Jay-Z's company, mm. uh, a film about Muhammad Ali. Are we so excited about all that Michael B. Jordan is doing, right? I'm so proud of Mike and for mm. Mike. He's just, he's such a star, you know, and it's so beautiful to see him shining the way he is shining and to just, you know, to just be taking this mantle and running with it. It's it's amazing. He's such a good dude, too. So we're just, you know, it's, I'm, I'm happy for anything Mike's doing. That Super Bowl commercial had me in tears like tears, literally right? in tears it's it's so funny yeah. and it's so amazing like it, it's legendary oh that's beautiful and did you work with michael at all on the wire i know you both I um, had I, opportunities i didn't i didn't but we did work together on just mercy so it was so cool okay. like reconnecting the dots and uh and working with him on that um that's where i really got to know mike and see how he works um as an artist and also as a producer because he's a producer on that film too Blessings all around. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so moving on, visionary director, Melina Matsukas. She's widely known for several episodes of Insecure and the film Queen and Slim. Well, she's partnered with Howard University for an Instagram and Share Black Stories initiative called Futures First. Now, Matsukas will mentor a select amount of storytellers from Howard's Department of Media, Journalism, and Film. And each one of those storytellers is going to get $10,000 in a production stipend to support costs associated with the creation of their work. Daryl, I love this because I think it's important that these companies and this moment of, you know, kind of a corporate initiative around Black Lives Mattering, uh, that's cool, but are you going to put your money where your mouth is? And this Absolutely. partnership does just that. I'm from the D.C. area, and so I know how much that's going to mean to that city and to that community. That's, that's incredible. So, Daryl, as a creator yourself, give us a sense of, you know, these students and storytellers, they're going to get $10,000. What do you anticipate they will be able to create with that $10,000? What kind of things will that be able to buy and how far can it go? Oh, my goodness. Everything. You know, that's a camera. That's lights. That's a crew. Um, that's being able to take care of the crew, no matter, you know, even if it's a small crew, a skeleton crew. Um, I mean, that's you can shoot. You can shoot a short. You can shoot a feature if you're if you're um, if you do it the right way, you know, um, so that's everything. All right. Speaking of creators, co-creator of Empire, Lee Daniels, he's expanding his own empire. Now, he's got an executive produce the spy drama, The Spook Who Sat By The Door, which FX is going to take to pilot. Gerard McMurray's going to direct the pilot and most recently has signed on to direct The Formula, starring Robert De Niro and John Boyega. I mean, you talk about like excellence, Daryl. We love to see it or what. I love it. I love it. I just can't stop smiling. I mean, every time I, everything you're saying, I'm like, oh my goodness, tell me more. Like, this is what mm -hmm. I, this is what I live for. Like, I love this. Yeah. The iconic Apollo Theater right here, of course, in Harlem has signed with the United Talent Agency, commonly known as UTA. The Hollywood Power Agency is going to represent the historic Harlem Theater across all areas, across the board. And that's going to include TV, film, podcast, publishing, 
and events. And I got to shout out UTA. They also, they clearly know talent, girl, because they represent me. Um, and, you know, I'm excited that, <laughs> shameless point there. Um, I'm excited, though, for real, that uh, the Apollo is going to have, you know, a big powerhouse agent representing its interests because, you know, nothing moves without the Apollo. And that's still true today. They could run their own agency. Uh, it's so iconic. So I'll be interested to see uh, what UTA uh, does with that because it's an incredible opportunity that UTA is getting to be able to work yes. with the Apollo Theater. They better handle with care because that's our history right there. So, so don't yeah. mess that one up, UTA. We, uh, we're going to be watching that super close. <laughs> super close, like wild eyes. All right. Now, right. last but never least, exactly, tomorrow is the theatrical debut and the HBO Max premiere of Judas and the Black Messiah. Oh, I'm so excited. Mm. A very familiar face. One I'm looking at right now is going to grace the screen. <laughs> Joe, tell me, A, how did, you, how did you come to be involved with the film? Tell us about your role in the film and what you can't wait for everybody to, to take away from the film. Wow. Um, so the way my involvement uh, spurs from uh, uh, our visionary director, Shaka King, I worked with him a few years back on something um, and I knew that he was working on something and he kept saying, you know, I need you to be a part of this thing. And I was like, yeah, OK, cool. Um, and I was actually in New York celebrating the uh, finale of Power um, when I got mm. the call that the offer was out um, to play uh, 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 Bobby Rush, um, which so I was great. like, so tell great. me when and where to be. Yeah. And so, mm -hmm. yeah. And so it's it's truly um, an honor to be able to to play Mr. Rush, who was a co-founder of the Illinois chapter of the Black Panther Party, uh, was deputy minister of defense, um, you know, one of Fred, Chairman Fred Hampton's right hand men. Um, so, no, it's it's um, it's an incredible, incredible um, experience, um, an incredible cast, which is just insane, but such a necessary story um, that needs to be told. And I really do hope that people um, this is just the beginning of people's education process uh, to the Panther Party, because we know how education if we leave it up to the education system, we wouldn't know any know anything about the Panthers. Yeah, black erasure is real, and you're right. I mean, we come yeah. from uh, a part of American history where you, if we don't seek out uh, our story, including that of the Black Panther Party itself, oh, like to it. understand, yeah, the programming, the breakfast programming, the the safety and patrol programming that these brothers and sisters implemented to uh, to everything they did. People. Yeah, of course, I have to ask you, Daryl, what it was like for you to work with Daniel. Uh, Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield, who of course have title roles in the film. It's one of the uh, greatest experiences of my career. Um, they are truly mm -hmm. supernovas um, and truly, uh, you know, they're, they're incredible artists and they're better men. Um, and their, mm -hmm. you know, their leadership is um, something that I, I learned a lot from working with them. Um, you know, this cast has become a family. It starts at the top, you know, and your leaders yeah. um, being Shaka, um, Keith and Daniel, it's, you, you know, you better bring your A game. Well, I'm so excited to hear it. I'm so excited to see the film, Daryl. Listen, I mean, yeah, I can't the assassination wait. of Brother Fred Hampton, yeah, at such a young age, such a dynamic, transformative, generational leader. I can't wait for our younger generation to see this play out. So yeah, you know, know their you, story. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I would just say, you know, it, it's, you know, 52 years ago, uh, Chairman Fred Hampton was assassinated in his apartment, asleep, minding his own business. And just last year, Breonna Taylor was assassinated in her apartment, asleep, minding her own business. You know, so, you know, we've come a long way, but how far have we really come? Yep. Yeah, yep. parallels are uncanny. And we got to know, 
we have to your point right there. We got to know where we've been to keep out from where we're going. All right, Daryl, thank you so much for helping me break down this week's Black Excellence and Entertainment. We appreciate your artistry, brother, and all that you do. Keep shining. All right, now we've got much more of Black News on the way. But first, on the topic of the Black Panthers and Black History Month, we're going to take a closer look at the past meeting the present. Let's watch. So the concept is this, basically. The whole black nation has to be put together as a black army. I might be in jail, I might be anywhere, but when I leave, you can remember I said with the last words on my lips, that I am a revolutionary. Don't talk to us about looting. Y'all are the looters. America has looted black people. America looted the Native Americans when they first came here. So if you want us to do better, then damn it, you do better. Welcome back to Revolt Black News. I'm with former NFL linebacker and possible 2022 Hall of Fame inductee, Demarcus Ware, who created the app Driven to Win. We're gonna discuss life beyond sports and taking those skills into entrepreneurship. Now, Demarcus, you've been doing this transition through your app Driven to Win. Can you talk to us a little bit about the early stages of this? Did the bug of entrepreneurship start when you were on the field or off the field? You know, I first started thinking about, you know, being an entrepreneur, but also a business owner while I played because I knew that I can actually build an awesome foundation so I can now have a good marketing platform when I go into uh, building business. So while I played, I only, you know, worked for six months out of the year. So I got great operators first um, while I played. And then once I was done, then I got into the operations and really dialed into the business. So now being retired, I'm all in. And uh, this gives me an opportunity to now use a platform that I've built uh, to build business. DeMarcus, so tell me a little bit about how you came up with the ideas for this app and your goals for it. Uh, once I retired, I had three back surgeries, one neck surgery. And so I started thinking about how can I give something back to not only the fans inside of the stadium, but everybody outside of the stadium. I'm a computer science major. So I said, all right, well, then how can I develop some software that from all of the million dollar technologies that I used when I played, how can I put that in the palm of your hand? And so I put all of that into 3D models, augmented reality, but also use professional athlete driven training methodology um, inside of the app. So now people can actually get something that when they say, I want to train, you can prop it up right there at your home. You can prop it up in the gym. You can use an augmented reality figure and you can actually still get the same results um, that you want. As an athlete in the tech space, as well as a black man in the tech space, tell me about some of the challenges you've had to endure as well as overcome. Uh, sometimes because of your color, you don't get the opportunities that are given to everybody else. So you got to work a little bit harder. And um, but no matter what, I always looked at, looked at it as your resume. If my resume is just as good as this other person's resume, I need to get the job. So now transcending over into now the business realm, Sometimes they don't want to do business with you because of your color. If it's a, you know, some type of brick and mortar that you're trying to build, some type of software that you're trying to build, it's harder to sort of have a breakthrough. But once you have that breakthrough, you get a bigger outcome because you worked a little bit harder. For you. 
So NFL players have a much shorter career compared to other athletes. How would you encourage younger players in the early stages to start thinking about entrepreneurship sooner rather than later? A big tip that I would give any athlete is yeah, a lot of people that say, follow your dreams. I would say, follow your resume. Look at where you want to be on paper, because then you can incrementally increase where you want to be instead of following a dream that sometimes never come, become a reality. And that's something that I did. It was, you know, I want to go to college first. And I told myself, I want papers on papers. I want to get my diploma and I want to go make that money. DeMarcus, can you tell us where we can download the app and how we can use it in our everyday lives? You can download the Driven the Win app in uh, the Apple App Store. You go right in there. It's actually one of the new featured apps in the Apple App Store featured on there when you go in there. So I'm really excited about that. But just go download it. We've downloaded a lot of things for free. And uh, this is for free for the masses, especially in the black communities where as a kid, I didn't have a way to train. I didn't have nobody telling me exactly how to do these exercises. And now this is an opportunity for me to say, you know, I can give back to you any sport that you want. Um, if it's body with exercises and also encourage people to get off the couch and, and be fit because there's 40% of Americans right now that are obese. And that's like my calling. I want to get you off the couch. I want to motivate you. I was a captain for 12 years and this gives me an opportunity to now motivate you in your life. But now you just go download it. All right, DeMarcus, thanks for joining and congrats on your app again. Now joining to continue the conversation is former NBA all-star turned successful businessman, Baron Davis. So Baron, you were one of the first investors to successfully get into Vitamin Water. Congratulations. Talk about the rise of that in the early 2000s and what made you want to take that leap into investing while still being in your career? Yeah, I got I got started in investing in, in Vitamin Water. Uh, I think that was, for me, just kind of the first opportunity when I left my agent to, you know, learn business and learn for myself. Um, I knew I was going to make a lot of money playing basketball. And I knew that endorsements were, you know, the next secondary way to make make money. And so I just started looking at, you know, who are going to be the next Gatorades, right? And so instead of trying to sign with Gatorade or Sprite, you know, I just started researching it to see who had, um, who was gaining momentum in this space and needed an opportunity to um, connect with an athlete, connect with the culture and and be able to market themselves in our space and so when i connected with vitamin water uh for me it was about learning and being a part of a smaller company so i invested you know ultimately so i could you know learn marketing learn how to uh create content you know learn how to be an agency and things like that and so you know being young i think the money that i invested was all about you know hey, I'm going, I, I don't go to business school. My friends are in business school, so I need to invest in a company. And, you know, that's going to be my business school. That's how I'm going to learn. You have ventured into multiple lanes, TV and film being one of them. How did you decide this was something you wanted to pursue? Yeah, I, you know, you? born and raised here in L.A. Uh, I think getting, you know, learning production and wanting to be in production, I think for me, uh, is where I wanted to put my, my, my money and invest in myself. Uh, growing up here in L.A., you know, just really being connected to film and TV and like all your friends, you know, they doing it and they do it for a living. And for me, it was like when I retire, this is what I, I want to do. And so I start slowly just investing in myself as a creator. Right. And really just paying the dues. Right. 
learning, taking classes, things like that. Um, because ultimately I wanted to, I want to be a filmmaker, you know, uh, and then I would say five years into my career, you know, uh, I invested in a film with the rapper of the game. And that was my, you know, that was my learning. That, that was my first opportunity, you know, to learn how to make a movie, how to produce a movie, co-direct a movie. Um, and, you know, I got lucky, you know, we got lucky, <laughs> we got lucky, uh, and we made a movie that, you know, ultimately paid us back. But I think from that point on, it gave me the confidence to know that, hey, I can write a script, you know, I can find, I can find a script, produce it, or I can direct it. And so had I not you know, early in my career decided that, that, that is what I wanted to do, um, I think I would have been behind the eight ball now. What are your thoughts when people say that athletes should stay in a certain box and not venture into other lanes? How do you fight against that? Uh, everything is my lane. <laughs> everything is my lane. Uh, it ain't no, you know, they can box themselves. Um, but usually people who say that to you are afraid, um, are afraid and are intimidated, uh, you know, by the success that you have. Uh, probably by your smarts and your intellect, because you don't want to go, you know, you're not going to go into something and somebody's going to tell you no, like, and discourage you if they feel like you're passionate about it. So a lot of times those are just haters and people don't want you to invade their space and do it better than them. And so, you know, uh, somebody tell me to stay in my lane, you know, I say, man, I got the whole freeway. So <laughs> get out the way. Baron, we appreciate you. Thank you so much for your time and congrats on all of your success. All right, back to you, Ebony. All right, y'all. Now, with today's episode, all about black leadership, we spent a lot of time looking at the leaders for today. But now let's turn our attention to the leaders of tomorrow. I want you to go to commongroundfoundation.org. And if it sounds familiar, it's because it was set up by our brother, rapper, actor, and activist, Common. Now their aim is to empower high school students from underserved communities to become leaders for tomorrow. The program focuses on character development, social impact, healthy living, technology, financial literacy, creative arts, and global leadership. And one of my favorite things is you don't have to just give with money. We can also give back with our time and our energy. So let's be all about the leaders of tomorrow, but let's get started today. For Revolt Black News, I'm Ebony K. Williams. See you next time.